All right, welcome to the Wide Right Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricane Speedwriter for The Athletic. And if you can tell that uh, I'm kind of in a different place. I'm here at the Garrison Tap House in Miami Lakes, not my uh, bedroom where I normally record this show. Carlos Ledo of the MIA All Day Podcast is with me again. And uh, sitting right next to me is the first time we've been able to. Yeah, dude, it looks like we're in different places, but I'm like literally right next to him. And I get no computer audio, but I'm just hearing his voice right next to me. So this is like the magic behind the scenes of me and Manny's adventure. We've been working on this for like an hour. Still not perfect, but whatever. As long as you guys can hear us, we're all good. Yeah. And and, and we do have a University of Miami football fan in the audience here that came out for the podcast. You want to come over and introduce you should come on you should come on screen and introduce yourself as well here and let everybody know that you showed up because you're our first official supporter come over here come around and say hello to the uh to the audience i'm just to be here you know miami lakers so of the you i'm gonna listen to you guys live tell, tell them your name and how long you've been a case man uh, i'm alex diaz uh my first love always to my wife i'll never chant you except for your football <laughs> That's how it is, you know, but she, she, she's come to love me. So yeah, yeah. my wife is sitting in the next booth and she totally understands. <laughs> exactly. She's, yes, we got to give your wife, Joanna, a shout out and your daughter, Sarah. My daughter, Sarah, and who came here to support us as well. Uh, and thank you to Alex from, from uh, the Garrison Tavern for letting us uh, record our show here. Alex said he's got questions for us. We've got, we got two Alexes in the audience, one Joanna, one Sarah watching us today, Carlos, which is a lot more than we normally have. Right, because they normally when I'm recording this at the house, they run away from me. They don't want to be anywhere near me. It's kind of like Saturdays on game day. Like, they do the same thing. Right. They're like, okay, you you watch the game. And we'll be in here, away from you. Right. But they're here today supporting us, which is good. We needed that. And the Miami Hurricanes need a lot of support because right now they're 3-3, three and three, Carlos. I just came back from Blacksburg, which, by the way. Sorry to hear that. Everybody complains. It says, who wants to go up to Virginia? Let me tell you something. I, I shot a video. I don't know if you saw it. My little walk up to Lake. Yeah, Virginia. yeah, that was cool. I mean, the orange, the brown, the red leaves, the fall, I mean, yeah. 50 degrees, beautiful, cool, beautiful, beautiful sun, you know, Saturday afternoon yeah. for football. Yeah, but then you got to live there. But then you got to live there, right. which in all honesty, I was driving around in my red um, Nissan Frontier. That's what I rented when I was dri- driving around with. And I actually was, I felt like a Virginia. I really did. I felt like I could, I could live up here and enjoy this kind of lifestyle. Think about it. I mean, we live in the city. It's hectic. Uh, traffic is terrible. But I mean, at least it's a nice ghetto. Yeah, yeah, for like a day. But like the minute I gotta get up and I can't find Cuban bread anywhere and I can't get a Cuban coffee, and and people look at me weird because they say I have an accent. And I'm like, dude, what? My accent? Yeah. What about your accent? Well, let me just say, I, I very very nice people in Virginia had a great state when I was staying. In, I was actually staying in North Carolina. Very nice because you weren't staying. Right, but I was staying in North Carolina in, in Mooresville, North Carolina, which is it's called Race City, USA. And it's all basically all the NASCAR drivers live there, all the IndyCar drivers. They have a lot of camps there. I think Penske is there based out of that area. So it's a very like uh, race centric area, which Charlotte is, North Carolina. That's where the Hall of Fame is and all that. Yeah, you know what? So is Okeechobee. I'm good. We, we race down Okeechobee Road. All right. I don't need no racetracks around here. I'm not, I'm not going to convince you to, uh, to leave South Florida. Yeah. No. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Uh, it's too ingrained in this culture. Well, I'll tell you what. I like coming to the garrison. We came here for a birthday party, your wife's birthday party. We had a good time. And you've gotten to know uh, Alex, the owner here. Uh, and they were gracious enough to let us come to our show. So this is the first on-site Wide Ride podcast that we've ever recorded. We already introduced you to Alex Diaz, our first fan, your wife, your daughter. Let's get into the show, man. Um, three and three at the midway point. I put out my grades for the season. I kind of went, you know, from different viewpoints because obviously this – you know, everybody looks at what Mario coming in. They're like, okay, you got Tyler Van Dyke. You got the ACC Rookie of the Year. You got the most expensive staff in college football, or, or, or at least the ACC anyway. And so you got to have instant results, right? You got to win right away. You got to be able to to get somewhere with this team, get to the post, to win the post at the very least. And then they go out and in their fourth game after losing a heartbreaker to Zanem and they lose to Middle State. And ever since then, I feel like, the world has abandoned Mario Cristobal. They basically left them on the side of Cayocho and were like, dude, you're garbage. You're, you're not a good coach. Your, your coordinator sucks. Fire off his coordinator. What the hell's wrong with your defense? Too many big plays. Everybody's abandoned Mario Cristobal. I'm being called a Mario Cristobal homer on uh, my stories at the Athletic, Carlos. Am I being too nice to Mario? My <laughs> Probably not. 
Bro, you're a, they, they called you a Manny Diaz homer, by the way, also. Right. So, yeah. They they, they actually said at one point last year they were they were accusing us of being uh, Cuban mafia for standing up for, my, for Manny Diaz because they thought just because we're a Cuban. We were, you know, catering for Manny Diaz. Right. And then other people would say we were too critical of Manny. So, I don't know. I don't get it. Either way, the issue is everybody came in this season with, like, really high expectations. And the problem is you cannot expect Mario Diaz to come in here and automatically flip the switch and turn to Mario Diaz. It's, that's this hybrid this hybrid coach I'm working on. Mario Diaz, because the results are basically the same. We're getting the same shit, same different guys, same results. But Mario came in here, and everybody expected him to be the wolf from Pulp Fiction. You remember the wolf from Pulp Fiction? The minute you said the wolf, oh, my God. Everybody's like, okay, cool. We got the wolf coming. He's going to clean everything up. There's going to be no problem. Everything's resolved. We're going to be okay. But even the wolf said at one point, listen, gentlemen, we're not done yet. Let's not start sucking, you know, each other's. We we got work to do here. It's going to take a while to clean this all up. This is not a one and done, right? So they came into the season. A lot of fans came into the season. Admittedly, I did with a little bit of expectation of this being a 9-3-10-2 season because they finished the way they did last season. But we overlooked the warts throughout the course of last season that returned this year. Like I keep saying, there's that old saying by Gary Stevens. You can't make chicken salad out of chicken shit. Some guys on this team just aren't that good. You have a, a change in system. You have a change in coach. And some guys aren't down for what they're doing. Some guys weren't ready for what they were going to be facing. And on top of that, you come into a situation after playing above your head against Texas A&M in a game where you thought you should have come away with a win and you lay an egg against Middle Tennessee. And I think that, I've said it last week, changes the perception of the season. Had they beaten Middle Tennessee, now we're looking at the season of 4-2. and two, We're like, well, maybe it's not that bad. I mean, it's a rebuilding year. But because they lost to Middle Tennessee and because they lost the way they did, specifically with their best player playing the way he did, everybody abandoned hope and said, shit, this is a Titanic. Everybody started grounding people. I have a child. Get me on that Get me on that buoy. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. I can't take this anymore. But it's, it's going to take time. And people continue to ask, well, what about USC, first-year head coach? What about TCU? First-year head coach. Listen, guys, it's been 20 years, dude. 20 years, multiple guys coming through this program, and you think all of them are stupid? What is the one constant amongst all these guys? And we have to be a little bit more conscious of the fact that there's rot within the program that needs to be taken out and then refilled with Mario's guys, with his brand of guys that will live up to what he wants to in terms of the standard of play. And right now we're not there yet, and that's why we're three and three. Most of my readers would call you a uh, Mario Apologist. That's what they call me for having the same perspective on this whole thing. Most of your readers are calling me worse. And listen, I, I, look, I'm not trying to apologize for Mario. There's no special treatment on my end. He needs to do better. He shouldn't be losing with Tennessee State. Yeah, he should probably be beating North Carolina as well. Um, even Texas A&M with, with the team that they are, they're three and three now. Um, there's no reason this team can't be six and zero right now. Either. Um, I would say the main reason, okay, is because they had breakdowns in their secondary that, listen, you're still playing two second-year safeties, right? I mean, James Williams and Cameron Kitchens, this is their first full year as full-time starters. Um, You still have uh, a cornerback group that makes mistakes. DJ Ivey's still on this roster. Uh, You still have, you know, it's a Corey Couch who was horrible last year. Um, And and he's getting better, short times. Um, so you're going to have situations where you're going to have breakdowns defensively. That's basically what cost them against the offensive state. And then the offensive side of it, you know, everybody talked about how great Zion Nelson was. He's, he's going to be a first-round pick one day. And that's fine. But he hasn't played. He's played total 61 snaps. So you don't have your best offensive linemen. And you, you have other guys now that are banged up. Look, Ja'Kai Clark and Justice Ola with Sean. They're not world beaters. They're not going to win you a national championship, but they're starters and they do an average job. And now you're going to basically two guys and Logan Sagapolo and Jonathan Dennis, who played zero snaps at Oregon, by the way. Zero. Yes, they're in their third year, but they're playing zero snaps. And so you're basically throwing them to the Wolves, too. So look, between the injuries to Jay Mirastrepo, uh, losing Elijah Royal, who was your number two tight end. I mean, you can say their excuses. You can just say, "Hey, uh, you're 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 BSing." Mario should be doing better. But for all the people who point to Miami's talent and say, "Well, you got the 13th most talented team in the in the 247 composite," 
all right, well, well, how do they look when we take all those guys away? Right? How, how do they look when you've got 18 or 19 other, you know, second, third, and first, and second, third, and fourth year players who are four star recruits? Okay, the Avery Huffs of the world, the Avante Williams of the world, um, that were very highly, uh, you know, touted recruits that aren't even really getting on the field and doing anything. I mean, I know Avante Williams recovered a fumble. veteran was like Gilbert Priors. Right. You, you have a bunch of guys who, who count as four stars, but Mario's basically come in and said, yeah. I can't play these guys. And and you can't argue with them because what was the team last year again? They were seven and five, right? So I get it. A coach is supposed to come in, maximize, make players better. In my article that's going to be coming out tomorrow at uh, on The Athletic, there's dozens of examples of guys who have gotten better. DJ Ivey's gotten better playing with his coaching staff. Um, I would argue that DJ Ivey's playing zone with his coaching staff. <laughs> Well, there's definitely ways you can point out. Right. But my point is, for the most part, there's very few examples of guys that have gone the other way. Maybe Jalen Knighton, okay? Well, no, Jalen Knighton playing like that last season. Remember, he was averaging 3.2 yards a carry? Right. He was struggling last year. But my point is, it's not – my point is they haven't gotten any better. There's examples of a few guys that haven't gotten better. Right. But for the most part, and you'll read it in my article tomorrow on The Athletic, I go through the list. I compared – um, all the guys that are playing on offense and all the guys that are playing on defense to themselves last year, even when they were in other places, what was their PFF grade? How many snaps were they averaging? You know, what is their grade now this year? How many snaps are they averaging? To show you the progression of every single one of these guys, because the number one complaint we get from fans is worst player development. Well, he's been here for six effing games. You can't develop that in that time. You've been here for one spring. I get it. Other teams are doing a better job, but in the long run, you got to give Mario time. And, and Mario does need his own players. Because, oh, by the way, guess who the leading rusher is on the team? Henry Perry. He brought in. Uh, who's the two, who are the two best receivers now besides Rashard Smith on the offense? Young. Frank Latson. Frank Latson, right? Frank Latson, who Mario brought in. And Colby Young, who Mario brought in. Let's go to defense. Who are the best defensive linemen on this team? And Leonard Taylor. And Safari Harvey. So, Essentially, like, he's improved this team. Like, there's evidence that he's improved this team. The problem is he lost to Middle Tennessee State, and he lost the game to North Carolina because they fell behind, and they had to play catch him and just didn't catch up. They, they ran out of time in that game. So, look, I, I don't think it's as disastrous as everyone's making it out to be. I think a lot of people are worried and angry and frustrated, which is fine because it's been 20 years of this, and I get it. You, you're sick of it. But I, I think for the people to be such harsh critics and say, oh, Mario's a terrible, you know, strategist. He adjusted the offense, Barbers. I mean, they they realize we can't run the football. We're gonna we're gonna become a passing team. That's what they've done the last two games. Yeah, because they have no other choice. They have to go with what they need to be able to win games. But they're also doing it within the framework of the system, so they're not revamping the offense. Right. I think which is critical. And at the same time, I think people were complaining about where where did Colby Young come from? Why didn't he start early in the season? Why wasn't he there in game one? And people have to understand, man, there's progression to this. This guy got here in July. He didn't know the playbook. He didn't know the terminology. He didn't know anything. And now he's gotten uncomfortable enough where he knows his assignments because there's a problem. There's diminishing return. When you throw guys out there and they're not ready for it, they'll make a play here and they'll make, make a play there. But eventually they're going to cost you. They're going to make mistakes that will show up at the end on the scoreboard. And that's the problem. That's why you can't throw a guy out there when they're not ready. And, yes, it sucks that it took this long to get Kobe Young out there. And he's a revelation for this team. But you know what? He's out there. And he's out here for more than one season. So, thankfully, we have him. All right. I want to go to specific areas. We're going to get to questions from uh, people in our audience as well as those who sent them on Twitter. Um, I thank everybody who does that every single week. It's, it's good to have participation. It helps guide the show uh, in the direction we want it to go with. Let's start with roster construction, because to me, that's one of the first things you're judged on, right, as a, as a head coach. We kind of touched on this subject a little bit, Carlos. I gave Mario an A for roster construction. And I'm going to throw some quick facts at you real quickly. Um, he signed 26 players, 15 from high school, 11 from the transfer board. Ten guys that he's brought in, 10 of the uh, 11 guys that he has brought in through the transfer portal. And that, that's not just going to be too cold, but young. He's another one. But 10 of them have started games for Miami this season, 17 of them ultimately, when you add them all up, have played some role. Um, you, met, we already talked about Henry Parrish and Frank Latson and Colby Young and and uh, Akeem Mesador, right? Um, but look at the freshmen that have roles now. Nigel Lee Kelly, he's been consistently involved in the pass rush every week. 
get somewhere between 10 to 15 snaps a game. And he's effective. He's, he's, he creates pressure. Um, Jaleel Skinner, now with all the injuries at tight end, he's catching balls. Yes, he had a drop. But you're literally throwing a true freshman in there, and he's producing something for you. Um, Wesley Bassaint, he's coming along every week. He's yep. averaging about 15, 16 snaps a game now. Um, you have Inez Cooper, uh, a kid who was like a last-minute throw-in out of Alabama. Okay, a 350, 360-pound high school kid who you thought, man, they're getting, they're taking a gamble. Mara really feels like this kid's going to be good down the road. Um, and then you got Ja'Curry Brown now, the direct snaps, the runs. Hey, you people talk about Josh Gaddis is not creative. Well, guess what? They were struggling on third and one. Now they have a guy that gives the other team something to think about. Well, this is the issue. I think if Josh Gaddis were a fan of the pod, right. he would have heard us talking about this shit before the season started. <laughs> because when Trevante Citizen got hurt and John Chaney Jr. got hurt, we said on the pod, yes. how about some packages where you put Ja'Curry Brown in there and short yardage and red zone to be able to alleviate some of the pressure on the running backs. Um, and then in addition to that, we've been talking for a couple of weeks. I've been saying, I think to be able to get Tyler loose, to get TVD loose, to get him in the flow of games, they needed to use more bubble screens, quick screens, and then go vertical once he's in the flow of the game, which they've done the last couple of weeks. So, you know, if Gaddis gets fired, Mario, I'm available. Frank first, uh, first opportunity. I'll let it slide. I could be Frank's co-DC. I get paid in beer. And chicken wings. Uh, look, man, I gave him the A not only because of what he's done in terms of instant impact guys, right? All, every single guy has a role. You look at all the I'll fight back on that a little bit. And and I'm going to say this: I count the recruiting class right. because the 23 recruiting classes ranked 11th in the country. Okay, two four seven sports did the re reorganization of rankings, and basically Miami got dropped from 10 to 11. Of it's Miami. Okay, but 70 commitments. All the problems with the offensive lineman, Pardos. All the problems, he's got five offensive linemen. And most of their guys now, the guys that they have committed are moving up among the yeah. offensive linemen, which shows you that people are recognizing Mario knows what he's doing with those guys. Now, look, can you fix all the bad habits of the guys that you inherit at the University of Miami? No. But you can certainly do a good job identifying guys and bringing them in and replacing the dead weight of the roster. And that's what's going to happen at the end of this year. I mean, you look at Mike Norvell of Florida State. They had a huge slippage of their roster. Miami's going to be the same exact way. There's going to be a flip of talent on this roster. Yeah. Guys are going to be leaving. There's a lot of – I counted – I'm telling you, in this article tomorrow, I listed 19 guys, 19 scholarship players that are doing jack shit on this team. Like, barely even special teams. Blue chippers, too. Blue, most of them. I want to say 12 or 13 of them were four stars from what I'm remembering just off the top of my head. The rest of them were three stars. But the point is – Guys that that you can use their scholarship to bring in a transfer or something else, and that can quickly flip this roster. So, yeah, to me, the transfers that are playing for Mario now are great. They're really good. They're, they're actually some that are playing above the level they were playing at when they transferred in. Right. Like a Jacob Lichtenstein. I think Moultrie's playing better. Caleb Johnson's, you know, I'm more or less. But Akeem Nazanor is obviously the best one of the group. He is a legit NFL defensive end. To me, the thing that hurts the most are two players that Mario missed on. Jordan Addison and Gentry, linebacker from Arizona State that transferred over. Right. And um, you can't help where kids decide to go. I get it, but I mean, if you had if you had landed those two guys, and you're this ace recruiter, and I get it. I can't give you an A on roster construction before including the transfer portal. If the two main guys would have changed this this team, I think you didn't land, and you went after because you did. So I'll give them a B plus. That's a fair grade. I, I give them an A simply because. All because you're a Mario apologist. No, it's, yeah, well, because I'm a Mario apologist, 1,000%. Besides that, all the transfers are playing. Like, Manny, Manny Diaz, I thought Manny did great in the, in the transfer portal, too. But he wasn't 11 for 11. No. And, and so, to me, that tells you, that gives me the confidence, like, okay, this guy, this is why I always felt he was important to get here. Because no matter what people say, oh, Miami has talent, Miami has this or that. Dude, the NFL speaks volumes. And, I mean, I went through the chart today. I mean, look at the guys that have gone to the NFL recently out of the University of Miami. Where do they go to school? Did they go, they come straight out of the high school to Miami? Jalen Phillips? Uh, K.J. Osborne? Um, I mean, you could go on and on. The list is long of the guys who are in the NFL now that basically came to Miami as a transfer school. So Yeah, and, and there's no there's no Tommy Kennedy right now on the roster. No. And, and there's none of that. There's no black eye of Tommy Kennedy. I was supposed to come in from Butler and be a starting tackle. So, that he was brought in. Right now, all of these guys are contributing. 
again, the, Mania, uh, the Mario and Mania buttons, I apologize for both of them, um, says eventually this thing's going to get right. And I have confidence because this guy knows how to identify talent and he fights for it. And so far, he's winning it over because they went to some head to head battle for some of these recruits yeah. against good, good programs. And they were able to get some. So, I mean, as long as this stays together, as long as the recruiting class is in and, and the transfer they and they use it the right way, this could be a quick turnaround issue. By the way, Tennessee, their new coach, I think they won, what, seven and five last year? Yeah. Uh, where, where are they now? Ranked number three in the country. Okay. Oh, we'll see. Maybe, maybe. Maybe year two is the magic turnaround. I don't know. All right. Player development. That's the other thing, right? Everybody complains about. It's the other category. Um, I gave Miami. I gave Manny, uh, Mario. Manny again? Manny again. I gave Mario a B minus the player development. Why? Because there are examples of guys that are not getting, you're not squeezing enough out of them. Okay. Um, I got some examples. I, I, I basically did my breakdown class by class. So let's just start it off here. 2018. Okay. Just so you know, the facts. It's the only top 10 ranked class for the Hurricanes since 2012 was the 2018 class. The only one. Of course, that's coming off of the 10 and 3 season. Okay. Right. Um, they signed 23 kids in that class. 12 of them transferred out. 12. More than half of the class transferred out. But hey, man, we were number, you know, eight. So we have to be good. We were number eight. So we have, forget the fact that there's 12 of them are gone. Um, two of those guys made the NFL. You know who they are. Gregory Rousseau um, and Brevin Jordan. Those are the two guys that have made the NFL. There's still six of those guys on this team. Four of them are starters. DJ Scaife, Will Mallory, Ivy, and Campbell. You look at PFF, Mallory, Ivy, and Campbell, all improved. All better scores than they've ever had in their careers. Scaife is slightly down, but my argument is Scaife is playing out of position. Yeah, he's, a guard, he's not a tackle. Yeah, he, he needs to be he's playing. He's a guard and not a tackle. That's why he's, he's down. Um, all right. The uh, 2019 class, which was ranked 17th, included eight transfers. 16 high school recruits and two Juco players. There's six starters still here. Deontra Smith, Jabari Harvey, Corey Couch, Lou Headley, Zion Nelson, and Ja'Kai Clark. You also have Jared Harrison Hunt, who's a former starter. Right. Um, but that's basically what you got producing out of that 2019 class. Um, Keontra Smith's gotten better. He's played his best game as a first game last week. Jafari Harvey is playing much better, too. He was yeah. ineffective most of last season. Um, to Corey Couch, definitely playing better. Yes, he got the stupid penalty against Virginia Tech. Yeah, that was a real dumb penalty. Like, that, 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 that penalty to me was the dumbest one of all just because the least physical guy on the team is going to get a late hit penalty on the sideline. <laughs> but come on, bro. Come on, dog. You don't, you don't hit nobody ever. Like, you're going to do that now? Yeah. Lou Headley had a phenomenal game. If you, he might have been the MVP. He might have been the MVP of that game with, with four – I think it was four punts inside the 14-yard line in that game. Um, you got Zion Nelson, who, if he were healthy, starting left tackle, starting left tackle, and and you can have your best offensive line out there. And then Jakai Clark, who's better than Corey Gainer, and that's the best thing I can say about. Yeah, and better than Jonathan Dennis. <laughs> yeah, and better than definitely better than Jonathan Dennis. Um, so again, how many of those guys that he inherited that are actually playing have gotten better or worse? Which, by the way, uh, Kelvin's going to get you for saying Corey Gainer sucks. All right, because he's, he's attacked me for that in the past. <laughs> By the way, eight of those 24 players in the 2019 class transferred out. Uh, you have Jeremiah Payton, who's at Butler Junior College. You have Christian Williams, who's at USF. Jason Blissett retired. Jalar Hawley's at Charlotte. Uh, Dancing his ass off. Uh, Cameron Williams, Larry Hodges, Sam Brooks, and Adam El Gamal. I don't know where they are. Adam, Adam, who? Adam El Gamal, the offensive. That guy was on the team. He was. He got a scholarship. You keep wow. wondering, keep wondering why they go seven and five. But hey, here we go. Um, all right, the uh, 2020 class. Let's just scroll, scroll down quickly here as, as we get to it. Uh, that class was ranked 11th. 21 high school signees, five transfers. Um, you have seven of those guys starting for this team: Van Dyke, Knighton, Corey Flag, Jalen Rivers, Xavier Restrepo, Michael Redding, and Keyshawn Smith. Um. I guess the only one you could argue hasn't improved a lot is Jalen Knighton. Corey Flagg's numbers are – he was a 50 last year in pro football focus. He's gotten a lot better. He's a 70 now. Yeah, he's a lot better. He's a 70. He's a lot better. He, can, he, still, he still can't cover or tackle in space, but whatever they're doing with him, 
with the system. Yeah. That whatever Charlie Strong is feeding him before games is working. Um, again, find me examples of guys that are not making better, right? It's, it's very few. Um, all right. The disappointment, Vontae Williams and Chance Williams. Neither of them are really involved, okay? Those are two top 100 recruits. You're not squeezing enough out of you hope this is their third year. You come in, you have a positive effect on them. It hasn't happened. It's 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 weird for me with Avante Williams. Um, I think it's really a thing about you know his his football IQ might not be as high as we thought it was right. because he's not able to adjust to the system. And even when they've switched now to a zone system, mainly cover two, where he's just got to stay back and over the top, he's just making he's got brain parts. Yeah. Luckily, luckily Virginia Tech dropped the ball. Where he came across on, a, on I think it was a go route. Yep. He came too flat and missed the ball, and the, the receiver actually dropped it. If it wasn't for that drop, he's he's gone. Instead of staying over the top, where he could have had an interception or at least made a play on the ball to make sure he didn't catch it. But he, he he's just making silly mistakes like that. His coverage rate, I think, this week was like a thirty-one point six or something. Like that. He he's he's not he's a hitter. He's a physical guy. He, he can read defenses, go for interceptions, but he's a gambler. And, and I think, unfortunately, you know, you look at this roster, you say, man, it seems like every year there's a guy that's high career talent here. It's just, you know, the football IQ part just isn't there. You rise a little bit of Ray Ray Armstrong. Well, Ray Ray, they were able to get something out. Right. So hopefully maybe at some point this guy figures it out. Um, all right. Four members of that 2020 class transferred out. Dazzler, the receiver, Tyreek Austin Cave. Marcus Clark, the cornerback, and Quentin Williams, who's at Hutchinson Community College. Um, none of those guys are playing. None. So again, are they recruiting great players that are worth the, that ranking? Right. There's no. There's nobody that's transferred out recently. You can say, look at this guy blowing up right now at another school. What's the problem for this team? Is it identifying talent? Maybe. Maybe that's why Mario's here. I don't know. By the way, uh, the guys in that 2020 class, the two guys that are in the NFL, Quincy Roche from Temple. Right. Jared, Jared Williams from, from Houston, who's on the Eagles practice squad. That's it. None of them are Miami bred, okay? And, yes, it's a 2020 class, but, again, you talk about how do you – where do you – high talent, how, how good a job do you do at it, how, how much do you help bring it along. This is what he inherited. These are the guys that he got, okay? I'm just making this point. The 2021 class, this is the last class that he inherited. Ranked 11th, 23 high school recruits, four transfers, seven starters, Leonard Taylor, James Williams, Cam Kitchens, Richard Smith, Andy Borgales, the kicker, and then Justice Oluwashun, who was a transfer as well from UNLV, uh, Elijah Royal, and Tyreek Stevenson. The only backup seeing snapped regularly, Thad Franklin and Romello Brinson. You got Jacoby George who's injured, and you've got Jake Garcia. Better class. Manny had – this is the COVID class, right, that Manny was able right, to take yeah, advantage of. Um, but in the end, when you look at it, you're like, well, if Jacoby George is healthy, is he, is he having a bigger role? Is he shining on the scene? Probably. Yeah. Um, that Franklin and Romello Brinson. Eh, you kind of say, I wish they were doing more with those guys, right? Or is it those guys themselves? I mean, it's, it's, it's tough to say when you're giving them opportunities. Because it wasn't I, – I checked in my pod – to uh, coming into this game in the preview pod, I looked at how many snaps Romello Brinson made into this game. He had 131 snaps. He's getting opportunities, no doubt. He's not being sit, sat on the sideline. He had five fewer snaps than Elijah Royer. Right. So they're giving him opportunities. He's just not doing shit with them. Right. Um, again, I, I think the consensus here, and I gave them a B minus, okay, for player development because there still are examples of guys that are better. But we went over the list just now, all of them, class by class. What what percentage do you think of players he's inherited? He's making better. I'd say at least eighty percent. Okay. So his job is identifying talent, bringing in good talent, and then developing what he has and making it better. So we just went through a bunch of examples, and we give him. I gave him an A and a B minus. What do you give him for? Um, I give him B minus also. B minus also. Okay. Now, obviously, the last thing is play calling. We talk about that all the time on this on this podcast. I'm not going to get too far into it. I think it's obvious what happened. <laughs> they wanted to run the football with this team. Couldn't do it. Didn't have the personnel to do it and basically abandoned it two weeks ago. 
I can't. I can criticize him for their play calling along the red zone. I can yes. criticize him for not creating a role for Jacoby. Um, um, not Jacoby. Jacoby Brown earlier. No. Jacoby Brown and then Kobe Young. Those two right. things you wish you would have seen earlier. But they made the adjustments. This is not Mark D'Onofrio and and Al Golden sticking to their guns. I just think it's a matter of they don't have the horses to get what they want out of these guys. I think offensively, part of the problem early on was that I don't think TBD was fully comfortable with the offense. Mm -hmm. Um, He looked better when Restrepo was in there because he had that security blanket. He had a guy he could trust. He could always find that guy. He knew was in the route scheme, so he knew where to go with the football there. And if he wasn't available, then he was just looking to check down or get out. Uh, so it looked a little bit better. Then when he went down, the offense went to shit because he really didn't trust any other guy on the outside. After that, then I think, you know, after the Middle Tennessee game, they had the bye week, and I think the coaches sat down with him and said, okay, we need to pair this down from a pass game perspective and do what you feel most comfortable doing. We know you like to go vertical, but we need to set that up with more other things. So they started using more bubble screens, quick screens, RPO slants, things to get him more comfortable in the flow of the game and then allow him to go more vertical. At the same time, I think he also internally said, I've got to let the shit rip. I, I think at this point, I've got to do what i got to do and be me and, and feel, even if I don't feel comfortable with the system, I'm going to go Brett Favre and gunsling it because yeah. I have to be that guy. That's who I am. Yeah. And I think he felt more restrained early on in the season. Maybe part of it was not feeling comfortable with the system. Maybe part of it was he didn't want to hurt his draft stock by throwing picks if he gambled too much. But now he's gotten back in the flow of like, listen, I'm just going to let it rip and be me. And the offense looks better. Now, is it producing more? Not really. But at least he's more comfortable. So at some point, we can marry the two, the running game and TBD feeling comfortable. Then this offense can take that leap. I uh I didn't grade this in the story. I didn't I didn't get it. It was just my story was getting too long. I broke down quarterbacks, receivers, tight ends, all of that. And I and I and we want to get to questions here. We got people who want to ask questions. Um, but essentially, if you were going to grade the play calling, I'd probably give it a C minus because they took too long to make the adjustment. But I wouldn't kill them either because they made adjustments. I would say C. I wouldn't go C minus. Um, one of the reasons I would say C. To me, the biggest issue they've had is the, on offense is the red zone play calling. Yeah. It was not creative enough. Um, you know, going back to that UNC game, you get down to the two-yard line, first and goal, and you know it's four-down territory, and you don't attempt one pass yeah. until fourth down on a pass that took 45 minutes to develop instead of something a little bit more creative. Then you are you also aren't using your personnel well. If right. I'm an offensive coordinator and I want to be multiple, right, and I want to get to the goal line and make you think, I'm putting in three tight ends if, with, when Arroyo was available. Right. I throw in Arroyo, I throw in Skinner, and I throw in Mallory, and I can go heavy and run it with a one-back set, or I could actually use those guys in the pass game because they're all athletic enough to get open. So now I have versatility. Now you've got to think about more than one thing. And again, like we talked about, you also include packages with Jacoby Brown where you can not only do zone read, wildcat stuff, but maybe jump pass at the goal line. You can do play action stuff, have him roll boot, and now you have to play 11 on 11 as opposed to just being 11 on 10 because you know your quarterback's not a run threat. So those are the things I have an issue with. Between the 20s, I think Gaddis has been good. You can tell by the yardage numbers. They've racked up a lot of yards. They're just not scoring in the red zone, and that's been the big issue. Defensively, I think Kevin Steele fell in love with certain guys after the, a- the A&M game because they played so above their head that he felt he can trust them, and he got his ass burned in Middle Tennessee, DJ Ivy. And – and then he adjusted. Now he realizes, okay, these guys aren't man corners. We don't have the guys to play man up and just trust them and play two over the top or one over the top. They switched and started playing more cover two, which is something we haven't seen down here. And they're playing it pretty well, I would say. I think the two scores is lapses. Right. And I would say this week, the issue that they had in the fourth quarter was not just the secondary blowing coverages, but I think the defensive line, because they were playing so well and getting after Grant Wells, got undisciplined in the rush lanes started letting Grant Wells escape the pocket and pick up first downs, extend plays that he wasn't extending before, and then shit started breaking down. And also, they were out there for a hell of a long time in that second half. Well, because the offense kept having first and 20 and first and 25. and they, Because they kept getting false starts and holdings. And which, that's which because... It's a product of, of your backup center and your quarterback being in a box And it's also a, a product of not being able to run the football. Right. Because if you can run the football, you're not necessarily getting those false start calls because they're backing out trying to get in their pass set. Right. You're not necessarily holding because all that has been trying to protect TVD. In addition to that, you're sustaining drives. You're killing clock. And if you really can run the football, you do what UNC did to us last week. You go 17 plays, eight minutes, 
kick a field goal and the game's over. You're done. There's nothing you can do. But we don't have that yet. And they're, they're, I guess once guys get healthy again along the offensive line, because you were missing three starters essentially, with Zion, with Jakai, and with Oshun, once you get those three guys back, you can maybe get into that flow if Parrish comes back as a starting running back. I don't know that Jalen Knight can carry a load at running back. No, I, I think he's a complimentary guy. He's probably the most effective in the past year. And it's telling to me that Lucius Stanley looks better running the ball as a walk-on right. in this offense than Jalen Knight. And it's crazy that he's the guy taking taking fourth quarter snap with under two minutes to play. Yeah, it's sick. Uh, but again, you know, and that's the thing. The coaches, this is why they were so excited about Javante Citizen. They had huge plans for Javante Citizen. And unfortunately, you know, just bad break in 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 camp. Uh, part of part of the deal. And then you know we have Don Chaney who played two games. He's like Mr. Glass. Um, it, it's been a bad situation all around. All right. Um, so the play calling, I didn't I didn't grade it. I I would say a C minus here on the podcast. You say a C. Fair enough. Let's get through the units really quickly. I don't want to spend too much time. We gotta get to questions. Quarterback, I gave Van Dyke a B minus. All right. Real simple. He's seventh in the ACC in QBR. And I would argue that the six guys ranked ahead of him right now are probably better college quarterbacks. Van Dyke's going to be an NFL quarterback. He's making NFL throws. But in terms of college offense, giving you what you need in terms of scrambling, making plays with your legs, being a dangerous two-way threat, allows you to run RPO, all the other things that you want to do with an offense, all the guys that are ahead of him. Drake May, Sam Hartman, Garrett Schrader from, from Syracuse, DJ Uyunglele, Jordan Travis from Florida State. He's having a great effing year for Florida yeah. State. Uh, Duke, uh, Duke Leonard. Leonard, the kid that they're playing this week. Those are the six guys ranked ahead of him. I would argue, you know what? He's probably right. He's probably right around the area. Let me tell you something, bro. Don't – everybody – listen. Get ready for this game on Saturday, okay? You know Miami has issues with athletic quarterbacks. Yep. And, you know, we have issues on the back end covering on occasion. Riley Leonard is a problem. I'm telling you right now, okay? This guy reminds me of Justin Justin Timberlake right after he left NC. He can do a both. He can sing. He can dance. My dude can do both. He can run and he can throw, okay? Don't let the little dork demeanor fool you. This dude is like the professor from and one. This dude will bust your ass. Get ready for Riley Leonard. My dude's a player. All right. Um, so I gave a B minus. You agreed with that. Uh, receivers slash tight ends. I combined them. Look, I, I gave this a B minus as well. I know that they were terrible in the beginning of the year, drops left and right. But this was a position that my expectations were low coming into this year. Yeah. Uh, Will Mallory is playing better. He's he's graded out a whole lot better. He was one of the worst tight ends in the country last year for power five guys. He's much improved. Um, Frank Latson, you're getting something out of him. You were that getting Clemson something out of him at Clemson. Yeah. Uh, Rashard Smith has really stepped up his game since he played Xavier Strepo out the last couple of weeks. Um, and then, you know, you got Michael Redding who's playing and, and until this last game. And it contribute. Was, he contribute, right. Um, and that's all you can hope for when you're when you're kind of going by committee, when you don't have any studs. And Colby Young is starting to become a stud. And I think now what you're doing is part of the problem coming into this is as, as a coaching staff, you don't really know your players until you start playing games. Right. Because things can look one way in practice, but then when you get on the field and bullets start flying, then you find out who people really are. Yep. Right? And that's been the issue so far. And it takes time to get comfortable with, as an offense, what can I run with these guys? What roles can I fit each of these guys into? And I think he's finally honed in on, okay, Brashard Smith, he's my bubble quick screen slant guy. Right? Yeah. You know, Frank Ladson, he's a possession guy. He's my comeback RPO slant guy. I'm not going to trust him going down the sideline to make contested catches because that's not his game, obviously. We figured that out. That's Colby Young now. Colby Young's my vertical guy that has the wide catch radius and ridiculous hands that I can go throw it to him. And that helps the quarterback tremendously because now Tyler doesn't feel like he has to make a perfect throw every time. And he still does. But he throws it in Colby's general vicinity and Colby's just one hand snagging this thing. And then you have other guys you mix in there, like a Keyshawn Smith, who's your burner, your vertical guy now. And you mix in Michael Redding as a possession guy here and there. And then you've got Mallory to work the seams and the flats. So you've got more of an identity in the passing game offensively. What's missing now is the identity in the run game. The running game. Um, you can't really – I mean, I would give it an F if I could, but they actually got better than mine in terms of yards per carry. Um, and Henry Parrish, by the way, okay? 4.82 yards per carry, 
He's fourth, the fourth most elusive running back in the ACC. The only guys better than him in terms of forcing missed tackles, Sean Tucker, Israel Batacanda from Pittsburgh, and Will Shipley from Clemson. Shit, if he's the fourth best out of those four, yeah, I'll take it. That's pretty damn good. That's good company to be in. Um, so I can't completely trash it because they're doing, they're not running the ball well. But I think we've already established between the offensive line injuries and all that. A D is probably fair. What are you doing? Um, yeah, I mean, D recently, I think early in the season, they ran it better. I think part of the issue with the offensive line is injuries and getting nicked up. And these guys weren't ready necessarily for this physical side of play, right? And it's not just a physical thing, but I think mentally they weren't ready for the kind of banging and wear and tear this takes on an offensive line. Like, if you look at Mario and you know his mindset and you know the kind of guy he is, he's a lunatic because the way they played in his time was we're going to line it up and we're going to beat your ass with the line of scrimmage. That's what we do. These guys aren't used to that. They're used to being in an RPO system where, like, hey, I can run downfield for five yards and, like, shake a little bit, and that's enough to get the running back a lane for five, right? Like, they don't have to be physical anymore. They don't have to line up and bang on a play-in, play-out basis. And that's what wins you the championship. It is. When you get into the playoffs, and you need to run on the clock. Again, fourth quarter. look at what Carolina did to us last week on that drive. Look at what Georgia did to Alabama in the championship game. They beat them into submission. And that's what you do. When, you're, when you are for real, when you are a really good team, you're really good up front. Anybody can have real good skill position players. But it doesn't matter if you can't block. You can follow the greatest plays in the world. And one, if you don't execute... And two, if you don't block it, that play's going nowhere. All right. Uh, let's flip uh, offensive line. I gave him a D. Again, I'm a harsh critic. Not a, I'm not a Mario. I'd go C- minus because they're good pass block. I, I, I would say, and, and, I, and I like Coach Mirabal, okay, a lot. I think he's a really good person. I think he's a good coach. I think he maximized I agree. Has, but it's really hard to come in and say, okay, you're going to be without three of your best offensive linemen, only have three of your top six. And, oh, by the way, those guys who never played at Oregon, those are going to be their, your next two best guys. And it's hard to expect them to produce a lot, but still, performance-wise, not good enough. I agree. So I'd give them some All right, pass rush. That's the one area where Mario's put his fingerprints on the most. And I gave him a B plus. Um, 11 sacks the last two weeks. They only had 10 sacks the first four games. But they've created pressure and really – I would say outside of the few moments where, where the quarterbacks escaped, where they, where they haven't caged them the way that they need to, um, that's been the best part of this team. This yeah, week. absolutely. And, and it's impressive to see this week they only blitzed 11 times. Against Carolina, they only blitzed four. Four men. So they're getting pressure with the front four. Yeah. And if you could do that as a defense, that you can play games on the back end with coverages, and you can be more sound fundamentally because you're not having to add an extra guy into the run game or an extra guy into the pass rush and leave yourself less defended on the back end. So I think I would definitely agree with the defense. All right. Run defense. I give them extra sugar here. I give them a B-plus also. I agree because I think they're averaging 92 yards a game. Well, not only that, only two teams have eclipsed 100 yards on them in six games. Granted, some of it is because they don't need to run. They're throwing it right over their heads. But, I mean, you look at the yards per carry. They've gone from giving up almost four games last year, 3.89 per rush, to three per game, flat, three flat. Second in the ACC in, in, in stopping the run. Um, it's not only the front four. Like I mentioned earlier, Corey Flagg is playing out of his mind. A lot better, yeah. Um, Keontra Smith had his best game. And I just think, you know, you have to give them credit. They got something right. They fixed the run defense. That was a problem. Yeah. Um, all right. And then pass defense, finally. Um, D-plus for the pass defense. Here's why. I think you're without Tyreek Stevenson, who's supposed to be your number one cornerback. You were counting on him to do a lot. You were waiting for Daryl Porter to adjust and, and, and learn this defense. Yes, he played for Jamila Dye for a year, but he didn't play. He wasn't on the field for Jamila Dye. He's a zone guy. Yes. Um, and then, you know, DJ Ivy's improved. Um, Tacori Couch's grade has improved. So you have areas, the, the problem is a big play. You cannot give up the big play. And between the safety miscommunication with the cornerbacks and saying, right, it's not just the corners. It's not. It's, it's Cam yeah. Kitchens and Cam Kitchens, yeah. just as guilty for all of them. So to me, you know, it needs to be better. Yeah. D plus. All right. And then special teams, uh, Borgales, 10 to 13 on field goals. Ke uh, Keyshawn has a touchdown on a kickoff return. And then Tyreek, uh, he was the one mistake, uh, the fumble on the punt yeah. return. And then, you know, we mentioned Headley's sort of. I gave some C plus for that. I agree with that. I'll go with that. Um, so, all in all, to recap before we get to questions, feels like they're improving. 
it's just two bad games. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, really one bad game, I would say. I think, I think if the Middle Tennessee result is flipped, I think we're feeling a lot better about the season. We can understand losing to Carolina. Drake Mays a baller. You held him in check. Maybe you didn't finish the game. We get it. Uh, you don't finish the game at Texas A&M. Tough environment to play in. SEC, got it. All right. But losing to a Conference USA bottom dweller, not fun. Um, all right. I want to get to questions. We have some from Twitter, and we also have Alex and Alex here for us in the audience. Um, who do we? Who, who wants to come up first and give the first Canes question? You're going to come up, Alex? All right. Alex here from the Garrison Town. He wrote it down. All right, excellent. Come on over. You can get in front of the screen here, Alex. Before we get the question, Alex, All right. I want to talk about the Garrison. Great place to hang out. I'm here a lot because I live in the area. How many beers do you guys have? 80 beers. 80 beers. And I've tried about 75 of them. Um, <laughs> all of them have been delicious. I can tell you that much. All right. Hey, events every day of the week. Tuesdays, uh, what do you got going on on Tuesdays? Every day of the week. Um, well, I mean, it's different every every single day, but our our landmark days are Fridays. We have karaoke. Yes, which I haven't shown up for that yet because if I do it, I shut it down. <laughs> Amazing. We have um we have a DJ every Saturday night. Larry the Amigo was here last Saturday night. Blew it up. Um, you got trivia on Thursdays. Yeah, we have trivia on Thursdays. We have live comedy on Wednesday nights. So we're really trying to create a social event for the Miami Lakes area that people can come and enjoy. There's never a cover fee. Everything is free. Well, so, if you see me sitting in the front booth, it's a $5 cover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So we're trying to get a good vibe going in, in Miami Lakes, trying to really, uh, you know, get Main Street going again, you know, back to the way that it was in the old days. So you know, it's, it's been great. You know, I, I'm here all the time because my daughter's here for karate and gymnastics. And it's, uh, it's a pretty nice place to be in when you're waiting for an hour. <laughs> and, and your daughter's in a, in a thing you don't really want to watch. You come in here for an hour, you have a couple of beers. You go home a happy man, I can tell you that right now. Right on, right on. So I have to say, with you know, with the sound and everything going on in the store, I, I wasn't able to, you know, really hear everything that you guys had to say tonight. But I did have a question about Toby Young. Okay. Um, he looked like a wide receiver once to be. He was making amazing catches. The guy seems unbelievable, came out of nowhere. Um, for FSU, for Clemson, Toby Young, mm-hmm. Restrepo. Will Restrepo be back for those games? And what will the combination of those two guys, um, what would that have? What kind of impact will that have on on our ability to, to you know, to actually beat score points. FSU, score points, stretch the field out, you know, blow the top off and, and and you know, maybe have a chance against these guys. We're going to have to four shows here and just have a mask. Yeah, listen, I think this is the best, one of the best ones we've ever had. Not only does my man have 80 half beers half. at his spot, but he asked a really good question. <laughs> and I'm going to, I'm going to tell night, I'm going to put, I'm going to put it on 90% of you, you, you Twitter guys, because you don't ask better questions. Well, listen, terrific question. I'll start answering and then Carlos can give his opinion as well. Um, I saw Xavier without the boot on. Okay. He's been having a boot on since he had the foot surgery. Um, Six, seven weeks ago now, however long it's been. It was right after the second game. And um, he looked good walking around. He didn't show any discomfort. Mario said two and a half weeks. I think the hope is Florida State. He may not be ready to go because he's got to practice. You got to make sure you cut on it and there's no, you know, mishaps. Essentially what happened was Ian Nelson, right, where he, he came back probably too early yep. because they wanted to get him in there and re-injured himself. So, uh, to me, um, the hope is Florida State. If not, heck, it'll be great to get them back for Georgia Tech because that's not an easy game either. By the way, the way Georgia Tech—they always give us a hard time. They always give my always give us a hard time. So, yeah, and I yeah. and I've been to Atlanta many times for games there. You know, you people, it, 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 you have you, you see what it's like. Beautiful thing in the city. Uh, I always say the nicest fans on a road game are the Georgia Tech fans. Mm-hmm. Always treat us nice. You know, they give us that parking lot. They give us like one of the parking lots on the top floor. Uh, for the tailgate, they're always respectful. They're all engineers. It's a school of engineers, and they treat us so nice. They're always so respectful. It's one of my favorite, my favorite road games to go to. But yeah, it's amazing. But if we can get again that that combination of Restrepo and Young for Florida State, I think we we just stumbled into a wide receiver one that could really make a difference. You know. I think I think without question we can we can jump into Carlos just slide your face in over there. Yes. Uh, you know, Kobe Young, we all knew 
when Mario got him, that six four two fifteen, you can't teach that. Yeah. And I talked to his coach up at Lackawanna College. Lackawanna is the same place that produced um, Mount McKinney, uh, who played Brian for McKinney, the right? right. And, and Brian McKinney went to the NFL. It was the first round pick. Uh, he told me flat out. I mean, this coach doesn't need to be asking. He doesn't know me. Uh, he said, "Look, I've had great wide receivers here that have gone on and, and played in the NFL. Great for Lackawanna College." He says, "This guy might be the best one I've ever had." And I've put three or four guys in the NFL. And I said, all right, well, you know, if that's the way you really feel about it, Miami's getting a really good player. Yeah, and I remember he specifically said he's got great hands. He's got a big, he's got the biggest catch radius right. I've ever seen. Oh, he made a tremendous one hand, yeah. one handed catch of the game. I mean, right. right his potential is off the charts, you know. Yeah, he, he has a lot of great skills. And what's great is you got him for three more years, you know? And, and so I think Miami fans, again, I look, at, I look at other examples of coaches who went from year one to year two and made a jump. Same thing happened at Tennessee. Same thing. They started to get players. And at the halfway point of the season is when those guys started to come on because yeah. they needed time. Go back to Gregory Rousseau, right, a couple of years ago for Miami fans who need the Miami example. Everybody's upset. Oh, this kid's getting in the game. He's doing great. Why aren't they playing him more? Well, we used to talk about it on yeah. the show. He didn't know the defense well enough to, try, to stop the run. Once he figured that part of it out, they, they, they let him loose. They let him play the last six games of the yeah, season. People forget Jalen Phillips, the first three games of the season wasn't doing Right, right. Jalen Phillips as well, who they got from the season. So, yeah. to me, you know, this is normal. This sort of just happens. It, it, it's, there's a progression. And what you got to be happy about is that you have a coach that can identify talent and can go out and get it. Manny right. Diaz wasn't that coach. Manny Diaz couldn't win the big recruiting battles for guys. And, and how long did we talk about last season? When is he going to make the change at certain positions right. and get these guys off the field? Mario's not hesitating to do that. No. When they're ready, he puts them out there. And if he feels they're, better, they're an upgrade, or what he's got, he doesn't hesitate. And I think to answer your question offensively, now with Colby Young and with Restrepo coming back, if you've got those guys back and you mix that in with a healthy Will Mallory yep. and you still got Frank Ladson, now you've got a more dynamic passing game. Now you can be a dangerous passing Because, one, we know that you're not going to separate from those Clemson corners very often. And if you do, you need to be able to make contested catches, which is what Wake Forest did against them. And with Colby Young, you've got that. You can hit them with a the possession guy, Frank Hudson. Now you've got the, the, the jitterbug inside with Restrepo, who can beat him on crossing routes, and you mix that in with Rashard Smith, who's also a threat in the bubble game and the quick screen game. So now what do you have to defend as a defense? I've got to defend you vertically, and I've got to defend you horizontally. Now I can't just focus on one area of the field. I'm spread out all over the place, and I have to defend all – you know, all 55 yards or 50 yards of the sideline and whatever I have to defend into, into the into the end zone. So it's it's a tougher defensive assignment when you have to cover width and length of the field as opposed to one or the other. Smoking like a true quarterback. <laughs> no, well, I didn't know that, but that's possible. I think just Miami fans in general are just a little too um, short-sighted sometimes. Oh, we always and, Yeah, a little too short-sighted, a little – we get frustrated very easily, but this is a process. Right. I think I really believe we have we have the right coach in place. Um, his recruits are coming in. Let's give him a little bit. I have people here at the bar saying, get Jake Garcia. And I'm like, Tyler Van Dyke is a, a really exceptional quarterback. We're in good shape with this guy, but um, we're just not giving enough time for the process to take place. So uh, I think we're going to be all right. But, yeah, having those two receivers, having two legitimate receivers – um, in place for these big games, you never know, man. We might do something special. So, so they can finish eight and four, nine and three. If they can finish nine, out the rest of the season, that would be amazing. Yeah, I mean, nine and three would but be honestly, that's, exception. that's one of the 80 beer stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I know it ain't gonna happen. So. <laughs> All right, thank you guys for being here at the garrison. And what a tremendous podcast! I hope we can. All right. So thank you uh, to Alex uh, here from the from the garrison top for coming on and joining us for a second. Now we want to give the other Alex an opportunity to come on. And then we'll get into your, into your Twitter question. Step on in. So, uh, yeah, I've been pretty signed for my mistakes for missing game what happened to our running game after the first three games yeah. I, I just it's just dropped off a cliff um all right we kind of touched on a little bit what we were talking earlier but i think you know part of it is and, I, and we talked about in the previous podcast 
Um, I think the mentality of these players, like you think of Rhett Lashley's offense and the RPO and the style that they were blocking. They weren't physical blockers last year. They didn't have to be. They were kind of undersized, zone-blocking type schemes, you know, opening holes up for Jalen Knight. He's spreading the offense out. That's what we want for them. Getting into a fist fight, like they did it against Texas A&M, but they, they almost look like a boxer now who needs eight months off before he fights again. You know, it, it almost feels that way, like yeah. a boxer who went nine rounds and like, yeah, I can't get back in the ring tomorrow. And that's the problem. They have to get back in the ring and do the same thing. And so that's where Mario, being an offensive lineman, recognizing and finding those players. Like as Cooper, who's 350 pounds and built for those wars. Um, getting a, a Francis Maligola, you know, the recruit, the number one offensive that's where he's going to make a difference here. He's the one, those are the guys that are going to turn Miami into the Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, you know, ring fighter who can exchange blows and survive and play in a week. Because that's what it takes to win the SEC. You can't, if you don't have uh, those big guys up front, you're not going to win. And, and the bottom line is the first thing Mario said to me when I ran into him here, he looks at me and he goes, what the hell is wrong with alignment here? That was his first impression. He said, like, why, why are guys getting knocked on their ass? What happened? And and so that's what he again. That's what he inherited, and it's hard to you can't do that in one recruiting class. You probably can't even do it in two recruiting classes. It's going to take you three recruiting classes to really get the offensive line playing the way that you want them to play. Now, can they improve next year and make a big jump with some transfers and some things of that nature? Yes, yes. but it, it's a process, and I think you know these last couple of games against North Carolina and Virginia Tech, two run defenses that aren't great. They just decided, screw it. We can't. We're, we're down running backs. We're down linemen. Right. We've got to try to win this game with our offensive line. I think, I think part of what happened also is it's, it's not just the offensive line. I think also running backs, specifically Jalen Knighton, is, his vision isn't all that great. He's taking bad tracks once he gets the football and not finding the cutback lanes like Alusha Stanley did, like Thad did on a couple of plays. Thad's issue is he's got no shake. Right. He broke one, and he had a guy in the secondary lined up on him one on one, and all he did was turn his hip because he doesn't know how to shake anybody. He didn't even lower. He's a physical guy. He's a battering ram. He's not a guy you use in open field situations necessarily. So the other thing is the offensive line. Yes, there there was one play in particular to me that I thought could have busted big. There was like a minute fifty left in the third quarter. They ran an outside zone. It was a play that had run three times before and gained like twelve yards on it on the ground. They ran an outside zone. They brought Jaleel Skinner across and was called a split blow action. And basically, they're blocking outside zone, which is Appalachian State shit, you know, Louisville shit, Satterfield. That's a Frank Ponce influence. And what the idea is the offensive line is you don't have to block a whole man there. You block half a man. You're basically setting a pick in basketball, and you let the running back plant and go once he finds a lane, a crease. What ended up happening was the backside tackle, Jonathan Campbell, got destroyed and run over, and the backside guy made the play. And those are little things like that that destroy a football play. Because if he had held on for a second, Jalen Knighton could have planted and gone 40 yards for a touchdown. And then you've got all these penalties, these operational penalties that keep backing you up and eliminate you from using the run game. So now it's third and 24, second and 15, second and 20. You're not necessarily going to line up and hand the ball off at that point. Now you're out of it. Now it's like, all right, screw it. Throw the ball. And once you're having success with it, you start falling in love with the passing game. And once you get another one where it's negative two, one yard, two yards, like, forget it. Why am I going to keep running? You want to follow up? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just odd just seeing the team out. I was letting go from, you know, more of a balanced attack on the offense to now going, you know, air raid where you're throwing 40 plus attempts yeah. per game. Um, you know, you know, Van Dyke is, has a skill set to do that. But ideally, that's not, you know, that's not what Mario. Because they got in CYA mode. Cover your ass. Hey, we got to get a win. And we're going to throw it 90 times. We're throwing it 90. If Lou Headley has to go out there and kick it to people down the field, that's yeah. what we're going to do. So, talking about uh, expectations for the rest of the season, 93 and you're going to have to sacrifice a lot. No, 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 Especially because they picked up Johnny Wilson and they and they went out and they got some playmakers on offense. They got three really good running backs. They run the ball well. Got that a really good team, linebacker too. Yeah, I mean, look, the bottom line is like Miami Florida State's talent is always relatively the same. 
The problem is who's calling the plays, who's coaching them, who's motivating, who's bought in. Those are always the factors why why teams fall apart. And, you know, to me, we've talked about this on our show many times. I've said this covering high schools here for 25 years. Florida players, the kids who grew up here, they changed over the years. It's not the same shape. They face adversity. A lot of them will. They don't keep fighting. And to me, that's that's the, you know, everybody's asking, why is Florida, Miami, Florida State down? And you load your rosters with that. And that's the culture. And that's why I think it's so important for Molly to go out and get kids from the state of Washington, from California, and from wherever he goes, all over yeah. the place, to have a culture of different guys so that that kind of stuff doesn't permeate the state of Washington. I agree. And uh, for me right now, I think obviously, you know, even though I think Florida State's a better team right now, they've lost three in a row. So obviously their competition's been a lot better uh, over the last few weeks. But it's it's a rivalry. It's it's a coin flip. It's a coin toss. You never know what can happen in that kind of a game. If they do get that game and they have some momentum going, get guys help back healthy, then you can maybe give them a puncher's chance against Clemson, depending on how they play against Florida State. Chances are you're going to lose to Clemson. So I think at best right now we're looking at eight and four. At best. I think lifting the horses back, especially for FSU on the offensive line. I just can't imagine without you know having three sorry charges. Yeah, it's not gonna work against that's not, that's not gonna fly. Yeah. Alex, appreciate you Thank coming you. down. Hey, thanks for coming out, man. Being our first Thank official you. fan. Appreciate to uh, come down to the garrison. Uh, they said we might do this more often going forward. Uh, we have a couple more off of Twitter we'll, that we'll close this up because we ran long. We had some technical difficulties and all those other things that happened. And I don't want to. Uh, Overstay our welcome here, um, Carlos. Any any thoughts off of uh, just the the uh, Virginia Tech game going to Duke that are left over before we get to the questions? I think we're pretty well covered. It. I think, like we said, it's it's a situation where maybe they could have scored more points on offense. The penalties killed a lot of drives. Um, the inability to run the football really allowed Virginia Tech to get back in the game. You get extra possessions there in the fourth quarter, and and you just couldn't put them away because you couldn't run out clock and sustain drives. All right, um, this is from Blake Bowen. Do you think we'll see an uptake in the Jacoby Brown packages or no? Seem to work well and should help with the Red Jungles. I hope so because it, it looked pretty good. I think in terms of uptake, I don't know that we'll see it more than three or four times a game. I think the problem is once teams start adjusting, is Jacoby going to pull up and throw the deep ball and kill somebody? Because if he does that and he beats him with the throw and doesn't just give away the run every single time, then I think it's working. I think then you keep then it's really effective. I think you're setting it up, and I think the other thing is if you got to use them more in the red zone inside the goal line. I think that's where you really want to make teams play eleven on eleven. Right. That's where you struggle. And I think him being able to pull it, throw a quick jump pass, pull it and boot, do whatever you got to do. I think he can do that and give you an added dimension to the offense. All right, this is from Myrick McCray, MJ underscore McCray. Why is it Miami always seems to be the toughest when you build? You look around and there are successful programs or coaches doing more. Uh, however, Miami it seems as if they need the talents of an all-time team to compete and or to handle the competition. Um, I think mainly part of it is mindset of the players. Uh, I think you go into these other programs like TCU and, and other places where first-year coaches are having success, but they are not necessarily the most hyped-up players, the most hyped-up recruits. They're hungry. They're humble. Humble is one of the main words you got to use. And they're ready to work. To me, it's it's kind of like that old outcast song, Caroline. You think your shit don't stink? And, right. Or roses, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but that's that's basically what a lot of guys down here come with that mentality. I'm a four-star from Miami. I'm South Florida. Right. My shit don't stink. Why do I have to listen to you? I did it this way in high school. And I was a baller. And you need to play me because that's what I'm I'm about. I'm, I'm this dude. I'm the dude that you signed here to say I'm a four-year starter. Well, what, what's happening? Give me the ball. Give me on the field. And a lot of the times, those those eagles are hard to check and they're hard to teach. And I think that's maybe what happens down here in Miami, on top of the fact that it is can be a toxic environment. I w I'm going to remind uh, our readers, our listeners, rather, that uh, the five national and teams, right? You, you were doing the research, 83, 87, 89, 91, 2001. Were those teams not loaded with NFL superstars? Oh, they were loaded. Okay. So, is talent part of the equation? Yes. Okay. I was just wondering. But also, also mindset. Okay. Um, all right. This is from Daniel Dan. So, 3386. Is there a way for Virginia-based Canes fans to watch and listen live? 
can't exactly tune into local radio. Daniel, you're listening to the podcast. Maybe next time we'll do a live broadcast on YouTube. But right now, this is a, a recorded podcast. Uh, we're testing the waters, man. We're testing, we're the, testing waters. the waters. All right. Um, here we go. This is from Lionel Torres. Are you all believers in Colby Young? If so, go back to the question I asked two weeks ago about the wide receivers not being given the opportunities. We covered Colby Young not getting on the field sooner because of him getting here in July. So it's not that he was being not given opportunities. He just wasn't ready for an opportunity. And he admitted as much in the postgame. Yeah, when I asked him that question. All right, this is from Asher Wildman, 13 on Twitter. Not sure if you two watched the replay of the broadcast, but two things were evident. Several blown assignments with the DBs again, and then the DB coach looking like he's losing his mind. At this point now, why does it still happen? Are players not comprehending something? A lack of coach. I Look, when, when mistakes keep happening over and over again, do you really think the coach is like teaching it? Another issue is this. They went from a, a mainly man-based scheme to switching to a mainly cover two zone scheme, which takes time to adjust to as well. And teams will find ways to stress you and to take advantage of your coverage. You're going to give up some routes. Now, blown coverages, that's a problem. But at the end of the day, these guys are learning how to play within the system. And they didn't play a hell of a lot of man, I mean, zone in high school. A lot of these guys play straight man, cover one, one man, two man. And they, they ran with it because they were just athletically better than the opponents that were playing. And that's an adjustment. And, of course, these guys on the other side, they get paid too. Those offensive coordinators know how to scheme things up. And they're going to catch you every once in a while. Marcos, that's it, man. We're going to wrap it up here at the Garrison Cap Austin Miami Knicks. Uh, great first experience. Outside of us having a little bit of technical difficulties early on, outside of that, I thought it was a good idea. Listen, like the 17 penalties, we overcame it, right? <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Right podcast. We'll be back next week with more show. Uh, Miami Duke, twelve thirty Saturday. Uh, local listings. It's a regional broadcast. I think you've been watching the field for you. I think it's Valley Sports again. Valley Sports again. Right. I'm gonna have to get another email address to get another free trial. All right, that's gonna wrap it up for uh, tonight's show. Thanks for tuning in. All right, guys. Peace.